0: After the first Sunday in um, the the previous church I was at, um, the first Sunday I was there, at the end of the service, or some of the elders told me, if you want to meet some of the people of the church, um, go down to the local coffee shop at around 10 o'clock or 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and you'll meet some of them. They'll be in the coffee shop there. And so one day I decided, I thought, okay, this is... Again, I'd I'd been at this church one Sunday, kinda saw a few faces, tried to remember a few names, everything was new, and so I thought, well, why not? So down to the coffee shop I went one day at about I don't know, I can't remember if it was in the morning or afternoon, about ten o'clock maybe. And um I walked into the church. I'm I'm a pretty extroverted person, if you know me. I'm you know, but always meeting new people can be a little bit nervous for me. And so I walked into the coffee shop, and there was two tables. There was a table of four guys just opposite the door, and then there was a long table of about 12 guys sitting there. And so I looked, kind of looked at all the guys that were sitting there, and I'm going, nobody from our church here. So I just started to turn, and the one guy at a table of four, he, he waves to me, and he says, hey, come over here. So I went over to the table, and he goes, um, we're just trying to, trying to figure out who you are. And I went, oh, you know, and I, I kind of said, well, and so as soon as I started, as soon as the question was asked, I was kind of standing at the end of the table with 12 guys, facing the table with four guys, and this whole table went quiet. So I told him who I was, I was the new pastor in town, and and, uh, and and so one of the guys at the table of twelve guys, he pipes up and he says, um, "Okay, so I guess you know." And he named one of the elders, and his name was Clark. He goes, "So you know Clark then?" And I thought to myself, "Do I want to know Clark? Because I had only met the elders once or twice, and and just just due to the nature of how I came to serve in that church." And so that was the first question that popped in my head: Is do I want to know Clark? And so I said kind of hesitantly, uh, yes, I, uh, I know him. And then the guy goes, man, you'd better watch out for him. And then the whole table started laughing, and um, hysterically. And so that was my introduction to that small town. And they welcomed me and had me sit down, and we got to, got to meet some of these guys that were part of the community. Nobody was a part of our church, but they all knew Clark, and they knew that he was a fun-loving guy. And so... They were just trying to kind of give me a bit of a scare there for a minute. And they did. I mean, even as an extroverted person, I was kind of taken back by their forwardness. But um, breaking into new groups is hard at times. You you find that, whether you're extroverted or introverted, sometimes you're just not quite sure where you stand with the group. Do you, are, are you supposed to laugh? Are you supposed to, is it serious? Are they joking? Are they not joking? Sometimes we're okay with anonymity, aren't we? Like in an airport, or maybe even in your favorite store. It's nice to be anonymous. You can just kind of go about your business, nobody knows you, you get, your, get whatever you have to get done, you get on your flight, you fly away, and away you go. Other times, it's, you know, when we walk into a party or a wedding reception or some other kind of a, or even a church for the very first time, we're really nervous about what to expect, aren't we? Um... What am I supposed to do? Maybe I should leave. These people all seem to know each other. Um, we were at a, a, a wedding, a couple of weddings this summer. We knew very few people that were at the wedding. And uh, it's, it can be awkward, even for an extrovert. Like, how do you respond, and how do you meet, and where do you sit, at which table do you sit, and all those kinds of things. And, it's, and my wife, Vange, was super awkward, and she's very thankful that I'm a little bit more extroverted. But or a lot more extroverted. So, I mean, that kind of helped compensate for some of those things. But but sometimes you're just, you're just never quite sure what you're supposed to do. Yet, however, if you're with a group of friends, they invite you to a concert or a hockey game or t- on a road trip or to some other kind of event. Man, you can be with 20 people and it is a blast because you know everybody. There's no awkwardness. Well, of course, there's always awkwardness when there's Group dynamics, but there's not nearly the awkwardness of trying to figure stuff out on your own when you're trying to n- know how you fit in. There's a huge difference in those kinds of settings. Group dynamics, the way we connect with one another, the way we relate to one another, is huge depending on the group in which we're, we're talking about. And so when people say, hey, come to church, or we invite people to church, people are going, they all have an image of what the church is and it's that maybe that awkwardness they're going well yeah but i don't know anybody it's you know you know like what do they do in this place do they do they you know wear hoods and and chant songs or chant chant words or what do they do And, and why are these people raising their hands like what's with that is, am, I supposed, is, am I supposed to wait, raise my hands too? Or, you know, why do they close their eyes when they're singing or when they're praying these songs? I've never heard any of these songs before. And why do we want to listen to some guy standing on a platform for a half an hour ramble on about a bunch of stories that happened over 2,000 years ago? How relevant is that going to be to me? And so, you know, people look, when they think church they think differently than many of us who are sitting perhaps in this room think of church. That's why we want to talk about this. They're starting a new series called Why Church? Why the church? How does the church fit in? Why did God institute the church? What's the purpose of the church? What is the church really? We're going to look today at at some verses that you probably never ever thought about that would describe the church. From Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to look at that passage, and we're going to look at some things that we can understand from it. So, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, or if you have your phone, if you go to the Version Bible app, click on the bottom corner under other things, or uh, and go to events, and search South Edmonton Alliance Church, you can find it there, and uh, you can find the notes there, and all that kind of stuff, some things that are in there as well. So, You know, anyways, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5, verses 27 to 29 this morning. And I'm going to read it for you. And now, you may think this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but it does. So just bear with us because this is not usually the context of it. Paul writes Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this passage, it talks about the word church. And I want to define what the word church is, because our concept, most of us have a different concept of what church is than really what the biblical definition of church is. What Jesus or Paul defined churches is, is as. And the image here is of the church is as a bride. We often think of it as a building. You know, four walls or eight walls depending on if it's an octagon or whatever shape it is. With a roof. And that's a church. But that's not really what Paul's referring to here. Because it doesn't make any sense. The image here he has of the church is as a bride. Now I want you to think about that. It's not a building. The English word for church actually comes from the German word, and I know we have some uh, people, young 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 people here who've studied German a little bit, and it, the, the, and I hopefully get it right because I did many many years ago. But the German word is Kirche, or and that means building, or or or. Um, yeah, it means a structure. It doesn't mean what the same definition is what the the New Testament talks about the church being. That's why we call our buildings churches because it comes from the old German language rather than from the biblical language. But when that wasn't, as I said, that wasn't what Jesus or Paul was really intended. The, The original word in the Greek in this particular passage was ecclesia which has a connotation of gathering of people, an assembly. Now, that's far different than a building. And in this passage, there's actually five images here, or not not here in this passage, but throughout the Scriptures that talks about what the church really is. It's described as a family. The church is described as a family, as a body, as a temple, as a lampstand, and as a bride. Now, you might think, well, it's described as a, as a temple. Well, but that the context of that is a little bit different than a building, and I'll explain that in a minute, because
1: if you read the context of where that word temple is used in that particular passage, it's not talking about a building. It's rather talking about a gathering of, pe- of people that are together in which the place in which God himself dwells that his people are a a gathering place, where God himself indwells the presence of his own people. And we'll talk about more of that in another another message, but just to to suffice to say that, so that's the image that we get there. So we have an image here, I think, on the screen of of the family, and if you can kind of see what that looks like, you see that it, it looks like a building, but it's actually made up of all these different people that are standing there. That is more the image of what, Jesus and Paul were referring to when they talked about the church. It's a grouping of people. It's not wood and stone. It's a body. There's also the image of the lampstand, which gives this, this thought of light and and outward glow. And that together it's almost like a like a fire. And you know that When you take a a fire and it's all burning and you spread the coals out, how quickly does the light dissipate? It dissipates almost immediately. But when you get all the coals together, there is huge light and and power and an essence of heat that comes from when the people are, are, are
0: together. And so God calls us that, that we are a light, where we together radiate the very presence and person of Jesus because we are actually the body of Jesus. We are, Jesus is indwelling us. The last image, and this is the one we're going to talk about today mostly, is this image of of Jesus being, of, of the church being the bride of Christ. Now, there's all kinds of images out there, and so you may kind of get this, I think I have a kind of a, kind of a creepy image, cre- creepy bride here. Uh, it's not, not really intended to be that way, but that's kind of sometimes we get this thinking that it's kind of this weird essence of, of this person that's all made up of all these people that are kind of, ooh, it's kind of weird, kind of going on. But rather, this is more the image of what the bride of Christ, what the church looks like. There's not one person that stands out in the crowd But altogether, they radiate incredible beauty. As we look at this passage in Ephesians chapter 5, we see here really what Paul was intending to have his, his people express. This passage is often spoken of about when husbands and wives, and the earlier verses talk about what wives are responsible for, and this passage talks about what husbands are responsible for. But the, Im- the, the idea behind it is it gives us a better idea of really how God views the church, his bride, his body. And so the focus here is on the husband who is actually, or not on the husband here, but it's on the bride, and that's what we're going to be focusing in on, this aspect of how the church radiates this image of of the bride. Now, the way God loves us is not loving, I mean, God loves us as individuals, that is for sure. But God's love is not specifically to me as an individual, it's to us, corporately, And that's a little bit hard because in a world that is very self-centered and we're, we're taught it's about me and no one else looks after me but me, that concept runs against the grain. But Jesus looks at us not as individuals but as a body, as one person, as his bride. And how they all fit together. Now I want you to think about it for a minute here. Just think about any brides that you've recently seen. Some of you have been brides, you've all some of you've gotten married, and I'll guarantee it that you as a bride wanted to look your best. How many of you as brides wanted to look your worst? Right, no hands. I don't think any bride ever wanted to look their worst. They wanted to be the be- they wanted to be flawless. The makeup, the hair, they went to incredible lengths to look perfect on their wedding day right that was the idea perfect fitting dress arranging the veil you know it it, it's always at the wedding you know the 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 bridesmaids are always arranging the veil you know the train or this the dress stretching it out pulling it out always making sure the flowers have you ever noticed you know everything's in place and so you know they go for jaw-dropping, if at all possible, right? That's, that's the idea behind a bride. They want to look just stunning. They want to be just amazing. And the guy, well, yeah, he can look good, you know. But it's just, you know, like a black suit white shirt, you know, maybe a bow tie or a tie. I mean, it's pretty pretty basic. I mean, sometimes they can go out pretty outlandish. And have you ever noticed the comparison of the flowers of, of the bride with the flowers of the groom? Big difference, right? Bride's flowers, big bouquet. Groom's flower, little one right here. Because it's not about the groom. It's about the bride. It's about the bride. And, and guess What? When the groom comes in, what happens? He just kind of slides in at the front and stands there with the pastor. No, no, no big thing. You know, there might be a special music number. There might not be. Not a big deal. But guess what happens when the bride enters? What happens? Everybody stands, and there's actually music that is played. The wedding march. Here comes the bride. I mean, that's literally, that's how important it is In a wedding, for the bride to be front and center. It's amazing. Here we go. I wasn't sure if they found it. We were a little bit... Right? That is the song, right? Here comes the bride. I mean, you play that song and you know what it means. Everyone stands, everyone turns, everyone looks at the back. Here comes the bride, right? That's the whole point of that piece of music. In this passage, notice who's helping the bride. Did you notice that? Look at that. Go back and look at it. It talks about how Christ is perfecting and, and allowing the bride to be perfect. The whole passage this talks about how, how Jesus himself Wants and helps the bride to be perfect. Now that's a far cry of what our modern day age is, right? When it comes to the bride, the groom is nowhere to be seen before the wedding, right? He's not allowed to see the bride, never see the dress, might, you know, kind of reach hands and hold her hand around some corner. That's about as close as he can get, but definitely no looking, because it's all about the radiance of the bride on the day. But here in this passage, Jesus himself goes to incredible lengths to help the bride become all that the bride needs to be. Jesus gave himself absolutely and did everything possible so that the bride could radiate to, to be perfect. Jesus even died for the bride. He gave himself up to make her holy, to pure, to cleanse her. He wanted her beauty to stand out, to radiate. He wanted no stain, no wrinkle, no blemish. And that was his goal. His absolute goal. He wanted to do that for her. To present so that she could come and be totally perfect. Now, you think about that in the context. what wife what woman wouldn't want a husband that would want to do everything including die for her and make her perfect but that's exactly what jesus did for his church that's what jesus did for us as people god has given so much unilaterally god himself gave it without any expectation back he took the initiative from the beginning from the very beginning in order to win and add to his bride, to his people. He has invested so much in providing and caring for his church, his bride. God's love is so great for his church his, and his followers that it overflows to the world. Now, there's, there's a very common verse that probably many of you have known, and if you haven't known, you've probably seen it at baseball games or wherever on television, and it's John 3.16, right? They've seen the signs. It's John 3.16. And let's read it. Let's listen to what it says here. And listen carefully. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's how much God loves the world. That's how much God loves you and wants to incorporate you into his body, into into being part of his bride. No other religion has had a God that loves and gives as, God, as, as our God does. Love is the main characteristic that drives God and separates God from pretty much every other God in the, in, in the world that's out there. Because God took the initiative. To bring his people back into relationship with himself. To present him to himself a perfect bride. To do every, all the work that is necessary. The bride has to do nothing. Just show up. And, the, and everything, gets, everything is taken care of by the groom. He sacrificed himself. I mean all gods require sacrifice of some sort or other. But usually it's the sacrifice that we as people have to give the God. But in with Christianity, God himself gave himself for us. He's the one who initiated it. Jesus was willing to give of, of himself for us. And that's how much love he has for the world. However, as verse 16, as we read there, for God so loved the world, he says, your part is believing that what I did was sufficient. Accepting. Trusting, surrendering. That's what putting faith in him is all about. It's going, God, okay, I take what you have done for me in presenting me as a perfect bride. There's another John, First John chapter 3.16, that many of us, it's very similar, different book, different place in the Bible, towards the end of the Bible. But it, has, it, it's, but it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Here John states again how much God loves us in this other John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. So much so, it says here that Jesus laid down his life for us. Not only did the Father give him to us and allow him to die for us, but Jesus himself willingly laid down his life for us. In other words, he got in front of the Mack truck when the truck was ready to take, to take us out. He got in front, pushed us aside, and he took our place. And he died in our place. His, his love for the church is that deep. Unbelievably sacrificial. Unbelievably giving of himself. And from that, he wants to build his church and add to his church. And he does all the work. He does all the works. We just have to show up. We just have to be connected. Now, part of it is he talks about here, he says here in, in, in Ephesians, we're not an island because we're all together. Together we are the bride of Christ. I'm not the bride of Christ. You know, Josh isn't the bride of Christ. Or anybody else. You as an individual are the br- bride of Christ. But together we form one body that radiates together the beauty of who Jesus designed us to be. That's who we have in, that's what, that's who we are. That's how we are connected to one another. But you're going, yeah, but I don't know. I, and I still don't know these people. I have nothing in common with them. Yet that's about as far from the truth as any of us could expect. Let me, ex- let me tell you a story. Last fall, we went on vacation, Van and I. Uh, and coming back, we flew through Toronto. It was crazy. We had two hours between flights and when we arrived in Toronto and we had to leave. But we had to... It was absolutely insane. That was, again, middle of COVID. There was customs and all, the, all that kind of stuff. So we had to clear U.S. customs, coming through customs, They were huge lineups. We cleared there, and then we had to come into Canada, of course, and then we, uh, after that, then we had to get tested because there was all this COVID testing, and so they said, no, no, we got randomly selected, and we had like 15 minutes to catch our flight. Two hours we arrived earlier, and now we had 15 minutes to get COVID tested and to be on to the next flight. And so we were, you know, and we kept saying, hey, we got our flight. Yeah, that's okay, whatever. whatever. You know, it was just, that's the, 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 the way the system runs. And so we said, okay, whatever. So we went through the whole process, got tested. We got to our gate one minute or two minutes before the flight was to leave. The doors were already shut. They wouldn't let us on. We're going, oh, now what? They said, well, just go over there. We'll rebook you on the next flight. And so we walked over there, they rebooked us, okay, 8.30, that night we were going to be on a plane, and of course our bags are all on that plane, because we booked them all, checked them all the way through, and so um, we didn't have any bags with us, so we went over, 8.30, okay, we'll get in late, but still get in the same day, and so then about 6.30, two hours before that flight was supposed to leave, an uh, announcement came over the PA system and said, yes, hello, uh, ca- you know, passengers, the flight is now cancelled. And we're going, What? So now there's not four or five of us that missed the plane. Now there's a whole plane load of people that missed the plane. And so they say, go over to the customer service building, your counter over here, and we will book you into the next flight. So away we went. We went over to the customer service, and there's a long lineup. And, of course, there's nobody there yet. Went over the long lineup, and we're all standing there, and you're just kind of looking at each other going, okay, you know, where are you coming from? You kind of start conversations. You don't know anybody, but you just, what else are you going to do, right? So you stand there, and so they booked us overnight, put us up in a hotel room, the next morning we come to the airport, and of course there's a whole plane load, so it's not like they could just book another plane and put everybody on it, they've got to fill all the empty seats and all the other ones, and so we get the next morning, we get to the airport when our flight is leaving, and so you recognize some of these people, no idea who they are,
1: no, con- no idea what their names are or anything, and we just start talking to them, oh how was your night, was I mean even my wife was talking to these people, I'm going, why is that? How come you can strike up a conversation with somebody that you don't even know, and will probably never ever see again, and you don't even know their first name? But we strike, we struck up a conversation because we had something in common. We had this ordeal of having a flight canceled, And so you ask all these other questions about, oh, so... And we even talked about kids and family and all that kind of stuff. Still don't know their names, but... We got to know each other a little bit, but we had that in common because we went through that ordeal together. You see, situations in life bring people together. As I mentioned earlier in the service, last weekend, Vance broke her her, her, uh, her leg, her femur. And um, in this past week, we have had text messages. We've had visits. We've had food offered. We've had prayers that have been offered to pray over us, words of encouragement concern, care, all because she broke a bone. And we found out, as, it, as we all do at times, that we all need help. And
0: you, don't, you would not believe how encouraging it was to get text messages or words or just someone pops in and, and, and visited her or visited us or whatever. It, just, it meant so much to both of us. That this church, this body, cared for us in such a way. You see, we all need help at times. And the problem is we often don't know, it comes unexpectedly. Trust me, she didn't plan on breaking her 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 her, her, her femur last weekend. We had six grandkids in our house that, that weekend. Guess what? And there's no grandma that ever wants to leave six grandkids behind. But life happens. Life happens. And it's not just about broken bones. We face internal brokenness, hurts, heartaches, failure, suffering. And in all those situations, we need people. We are so thankful for this church and how they have helped us. Man, I just it's given us an, an incredible love for this, for this church and for, for you as a body, just for the little things you have done for us. But so often we let those things separate us, and it could have been very easy for us to going, "No, no, we've got it handled." And trust me, I was there. You don't know how many times I was ready to say, "No, look, just we got this handled." And God said, no, be open. I'm a pretty independent person. And, I, you know, you talk to my wife. There isn't much. I can, I can cook. I can clean. I can do all those things. But God said, no, let the church take care of you. Let people care for you, whether it's a text message or whatever. Be open. But so often we close ourselves off. We're going, no, I can do this you know and or we you know we 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 break people off and we saying well you know it's oh, we don't know it's easier to judge or be critical or angry or bitter or you know holding people at a distance allowing fear and angry and unforgiving things to separate us from other people when really those things are the things that we should we all have in common we've all been fearful we've all been hurt We've all been judged. We've all, people have hurt us deeply. Everyone in this room has been hurt incredibly deeply at some point or other. And we need each other for those moments. We need each other in those moments. And so what actually almost seems to separate us should actually be bringing us together because it's something we have all in common. Just like that flight that Vange and I got, was canceled. It's a mess. We didn't like it. We had no clothes to change into for the next day. Because they were all in our suitcases. Big mistake. Anyways, that's another story. But you see, you don't plan those things. We don't plan those things. And when they happen, you just have to go with it. And you have to accept it. And just find those that are, are broken along with you, that are hurting along with you, and help, and help one another. Society has taught us how to be picky. Have you noticed that? Be picky about your toilet paper. You got to pick their particular brand, right? Be picky about what kind of rice you eat. Be picky about the kind of apples you eat. I mean, you go to the, the grocery store now, apples, there's like 12 different varieties. So when your spouse tells you to pick up apples, you're always going... Which one, right? Because there's only one that they like. And yet, sometimes we get picky and we allow our pickiness to separate us as individuals as well. We allow, we build walls, protection, fear. I mean, I've even heard radio commercials even this last week as I was driving back and forth to the hospital. One of them was was talking about making sure that we protect ourselves from COVID and keep distance from people and all that kind of stuff. I'm going, okay, I I get that, but there's another whole layer of isolation and brokenness that comes with that. That if, if, if we buy into the complete isolation that almost like the commercial talked about, I'm going we could be in serious trouble here. And we are in serious trouble. We're still trying to find out the impact that the last two years has had on our social connection and relationships. And I've had lots of people talk to me about that. Not that distancing wasn't supposed to happen and we, to be safe. I'm not, I'm not advocating that. But there's layers here of... of Uh, isolation and separation can lead to bitterness and fear and anger and hurt. And we're never quite sure about how to react to one another now that we are in person and we're seeing one another again. The church of Jesus is flesh and blood. It is people. It is a gathering together where there's broken people, there's angry people, there's people that have failed there's people that are sinful. They're heartbroken. They're they're suffering. People that have gathered together, hurt people, and they're standing together. And guess what? They're together, and yet they're radiating perfection because they're they're they're, they're the body of Christ. Jesus is making them perfect. Yet we've often we often easily jump to being judgmental and critical. Thinking we're above everyone else. But that's never the image that Jesus had of the church, any more than it's a church building. God calls us to tear down our walls, to be transparent with one another, not to judge or critique or look down, because we're all the same. We're all sinners. We're all broken. We're all messed up. And we're still messing up at times. If you want a perfect church, don't come here, okay? Because this church isn't perfect, because I'm here. You guys may be perfect, but I'm here, and so this church isn't perfect, because I fail and I stumble at times. And we need each other. We need each other. And everyone who comes, who walks in the doors of this church, at some level or other, needs to be needed, and needs to be heard, and needs to be encouraged. For us, the, he- the need was physical. But for most of us, our needs are hidden. They're not as physical. I want to close with a question. How do you view the people around you? What is your mindset? What is your response when people are hurting, lonely, or broken. That's, that's who the church is made up of. That's the radiant, glorious bride of Christ are people that are broken, that are lonely, that are in need of God, because that's who God loves. How do you view them? Jesus broke himself and served all of us. No matter what our state, whether we accept him or not, Jesus died for each one of us and for all of us. So the question then comes is, what's our response to Jesus? When someone loves you, what is your response to them? You put up your hands, push them away, going, no, 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 I don't need you. We could have done that to the church. We could have said to you, hey, we don't need you. We're, we're good. I mean, we've got food in our, our freezer. We, we could have done that. But to be loved on by this church was, was humbling, very humbling, and very hard, and yet, and yet it, when we did that, it, we sensed that you guys loved us, and our response was just to say thank you, because there's nothing else we can say. We can't pay you back. And that's the response. When, Je- when Jesus says that he died for us, what's your response to Jesus. I, I don't need you, Jesus. I'm good. I, I, I got this. God has prepared us as not to be just individuals, but to be a body, to be connected to one another. Ligaments, flesh, bones, arms, legs, heart, the whole thing, we're connected. We're one body in Jesus. And together, we radiate this gloriousness thing called the bride or the church. Jesus says, come. Accept me. Accept my sacrifice. Surrender yourself to me. Will you? Maybe you've done that. That's awesome. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you need to do that for the first time. He wants to be loved back. And that's our response, is just to love them and say, thank you, Jesus. We sang that song, Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one our hearts adore. Why? Because he has given everything for us that we might radiate his sacrifice, his, his beauty back to the world around us. And that's what makes the church the most amazing organization in the entire world because the thing we have in common is not our our, our um, strengths, but our weaknesses. Our weaknesses is what we have in common. Our brokenness, our failures, it's not strengths. That's, that's, that's a miracle in and of itself, that God could knit a bunch of people that are broken and ragtag bunch of people from various parts of the world and bring us together and make us one in Him. That's God. That's God. That's what God, that's what the church is all about. Bonded by love. Let's pray. God, I thank you Jesus, for yourself and your sacrifice for us. Your sacrifice for me. And um, how you love me when I don't deserve it. How you've cared for me, how you've reached out to me, how you've touched my heart at times when I am probably the worst person in the world. And God, when I'm the tired and crabby and and irritable, God, you, you still love me. It doesn't change. But more importantly, God, you, you don't just love me, you you love us. And the messiness of us and the brokenness of us and the, the pain and the the hurt. God, you came to heal the brokenhearted and to set captives free. Jesus, that's why you came. And to somehow connect us together like broken bones and tie us together with sinew and muscle and cartilage and parts of eyes and ears and all those pieces and to make us this amazing thing called called the bride. And God, when we're functioning as you call us to function, God, we, we radiate. Not, not in perfection, but when we come together in brokenness, God, we radiate the perfection and the beauty of you, Jesus. Because somehow there's this amazing sense of, of care and love and concern. And God, we've experienced it this week in a physical, over a physical hurt. But God, how much more do we need each other in the emotional and mental hurt that we all face? God, this, this message, you know this message was supposed to be preached last week, but because of everything that happened, it never got preached. But God, maybe because, and because you wanted us to see it in a, in a different light. so, God, we rejoice in your goodness. God, we rejoice in your goodness to Vange and myself this past week through this body, through the care, the concern of this body, and others from outside this body as well. There's many that have reached out. God, we're thankful for each one. And so today, God, help us to be knit together in you, to seek you, to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.